Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug and play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point of sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. Starcast, the German football pod, brought to you by The Athletic. Today we discuss Robert Lewandowski, Lewandowski, <laughs> scoring four goals versus Hertha, another one of those fine Dortmund wins that we talk about every other week before talking about one of those awful performances every other week. We check why nominative determinism is still a thing for Schalke in fear. finally find out what Gustav Biermann has been doing all year wearing a tracksuit and take a cursory look at the transfer window just gone by. All of that and more in Starcast. Hello, I'm joined today by Christoph Biermann and Kevin Hatchard after resisting temptation to loan both of them out to other pods. Some very good offers did come in last night, but no, we had told everyone the 120 million euros had to be in the athletics accounts on August 10 <laughs> at the latest, so sorry. But their loss is our gain. Guys, what did you do this weekend? Well, I was on duty for uh, Dortmund against Freiburg on Saturday, which is very exciting. And then Bayern's game against Hertha, which was uh, even more thrilling. Although uh, I don't think Bayern will be too pleased it was thrilling. And Christoph, what did you see? I saw almost everything. I mean, that means on a, a Saturday afternoon, it's uh, seen bits of pieces of everything because we have this conference in at uh, Sky in Germany. And uh, sometimes I stuck a bit with um, marveling at Borussia Dortmund. Uh, sometimes I, I was watching other parts of the Bundesliga a bit more and yeah so I think I have a good overview. Excellent. Well, I think we all marvel at Borussia Dortmund. A fine 4-0 win over Freiburg. Uh, they really played well. They played the kind of game that we expect a bit more often from them. But what was it you enjoyed particularly, Kevin? I enjoyed Gio Reyna's performance, which was sensational. Yeah, uh, three Three assists in one game. He's the youngest player to do that at just 17 in the Bundesliga. But what I thought was really interesting about this game was the first half hour, they found it really difficult to find the tempo they needed to really open Freiburg up. And Freiburg played a, a different system to perhaps what they usually would. They had a back three. And it kind of chimes with something you've said consistently, Rafa, which is 
because the pressing is so gentle and it's so inconsistent, it's kind of difficult sometimes for Dortmund to really fly at teams and really put them under serious pressure early on sometimes. So if you look, the irony is that the first goal comes from some fierce pressing from Marco Royce, but it almost felt like it was something he took upon his own shoulders yeah, to go solo and do. Pressing. <laughs> yeah, because it wasn't really happening as a team. And he just thought, right, I've had enough of this. So he hunted down Niklas Herfler, won the ball, found Reiner, and he then found Haaland. Really enjoyed Haaland's performance because his finishing is outrageously good. He's so dangerous in front of goal. And the second goal he scores was never in doubt. The moment that ball gets in front of him, you just knew he was hammering that past the goalkeeper. And I also love the end, which was Haaland's clean through, final touch of the game, he knows. Uh, there's no opposition, could go for the hat-trick. And then he sees Felix pass like square and sets him up for a goal. So that was actually a really good sign that it's not just about Holland; it actually genuinely is about the team. Sometimes it's pretty important in, within football teams to uh, to not be the big ego shooter, especially when it comes to uh, to forwards who always have the feeling they are only as good as um, the number of goals they have scored. And I, I think it was a really nice gesture because... Obviously, Haaland would would have or could have scored the um, goal himself, and I think it was uh, really important also for Felix Paslak, who who was out for for ages and now is fighting um, his way way back into the team and now gets a goal. So that was that was actually really good. But I I disagree a bit uh, about the uh, the whole pressing uh, thing concerning Borussia Dortmund. It's not true that they don't press at all but but I think we're used to to see this top teams uh, who are the pressing monsters I mean uh, Bayern Munich obviously but also uh, Liverpool and and others and so I think comparatively it it looks a bit uh, soft very often but uh, on the other hand, uh, side you could see um, that it can, can also the Favre style uh, can also lead to very nice performances uh, as this one against Freiburg. Although we must be, uh, honestly, it took them 30 minutes, and and in this first 30 minutes, it looked a bit like as if they didn't really know how to get around the Freiburg bus that had, um, Christian Streich had parked. And there were eleven and a half thousand people in the ground, which was which was nice to see. Uh, but they didn't see Jaden Sancho, who was out with some a severe case, I think, of uh, of throat infection. Um, kept him out for a few good hours before he was able to go to a party in London. So it must have been very <laughs> bad. But um, uh, how pleased do you think Dortmund are that the transfer window is is closed? Christoph? I don't think that they are too pleased. I think they, they a position concerning Sancho was very clear uh, from, from a long time on and uh, I think uh, Manchester United maybe didn't take it not seriously enough. Borussia Dortmund said it from the beginning but uh, maybe Manchester United were thinking it was only politics but it, it, it wasn't politics and so I think they, they were 
not a lot nervousness uh, that uh, may be close to the end of the Council and uh, something radical uh, would change. Feels like quite an important moment for Dortmund in some ways if you look at future windows because they already had a reputation as a team that you know is is quite hard nosed when it comes to negotiation and now they've got through all of this speculation this all of this talk of Jaden Sancho going to United all of this talk that United were going to lowball them and be able to put the pressure on and may be able to get that fee down and they've glided through it being very consistent with the message and they've held on to a top player so in terms of their future negotiations I imagine that can only help. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, to me, it, it did have uh, slight echoes of uh, this is going to be the f easiest deal ever. We hold all the cards. They will blink. They can't afford no deal. Um, but it turns <laughs> out they could. Heard that before. <laughs> turns out they could. But if you do want to read more about this biggest non-transfer of the window, um, head over to The Athletic, where my colleagues David Ornstein, Laurie Whitwell and me have tried to write up the whole inside story, if you will, of this rather messy misunderstanding. And moving on to Bayern, uh, as Kevin said, they registered a late 4-3 win over Hertha. Four goals from Robert Lewandowski, but Bayern left it really late. Having been 2-0 up and 3-2 up, they were pegged, pegged back repeatedly and in the end found three points that didn't quite go that far in pacifying Hansi Flick and Thomas Müller. They, along with Leon Goretzka, being very critical of Bayern's performance, saying mentally uh, it wasn't quite right. They are not running enough, not doing enough, not being at the levels that Bayern expect of themselves. So, Christoph, as somebody who has seen this Bayern team and sort of grudgingly admired them in recent months, um, how worried are you that they are... Um, falling a little bit short of those high levels. I think what uh, what what Thomas Müller and um, Hansi Flick were complaining about is that, um, and and I think in a way they said it. It's like this um, Bayern team are humans also. So they had win had won uh, five titles uh, this year. Uh, with this, they are one of the biggest teams in the history of of the club. And now it's like, ooh, we're playing. We're playing Hertha and and maybe we get away with running a bit less and uh, and so and and maybe you, you could see something similar already the week before when they were losing four on at at Hoffenheim. So yeah, but it's Bayern Munich and uh, Bayern Munich is not human. It's uh, they have to be superhumans and uh, so they have to return to the way that they have been taking before. I mean, they conceded seven goals in two matches in the Bundesliga against decent teams and uh, that is way uh, too much and that has to do with a slight lack of uh, organization, uh, a, a reduced running, reduced uh, intensity, and they um, have to uh, find their way back. And I'm pretty sure uh, they will do. One of the really interesting things I thought from Sunday was if you look at the first and third goals from Hertha, they're effectively free headers. Uh, John Cordoba, you know, very powerful header, but, you know, should be put under more pressure. And Jessica Gankam, who'd only just come on, pretty much has a free run at the far post. And you look at some of the goals they conceded against Hoffenheim, very sloppy as well. And I think 
that is something they are going to have to tighten up. You look at Benjamin Pavard, the way he started the season. Obviously, he missed the end of last season with injury. And he looks way below the levels that he was producing uh, for most of last season. So the fact that they have that incredible quality in attack, Lewandowski so clever, so precise, that's getting them out of jail. But there's a lot for Hansi Flick to work on, I think, over the next few weeks. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I'm not sure I really count the Super Cup as a fifth trophy, but yes, uh, I take... Technically, it is. (laughs) Yeah, I take Thomas Muller's point. What I found really interesting was that uh, the way Müller put it, he said, yeah, it's understandable that after winning all this stuff, maybe there's a temptation to run a little bit less, but we're not on the pitch to do the stuff that's understandable. We are on the pitch to do the FC Bayern Munich stuff, (laughs) (laughs) which uh, was very nicely put. I wonder, though, I really wonder, with all these games coming in and with no more finals, as he referred uh, those uh, Super Cup games to uh, to come for quite a long time. Will Bayern continue to find it hard to play that by, in his own terms, insane pressing game? Because I think Bayern will always perform at a certain level. They will always have the quality to win most games. But if they want to play with that high line, with the pressing, I don't think you can necessarily do it at 90% without leaving yourself exposed. And that's where I think it'll get interesting. I think bringing in more players, and we can talk about this now, will make it a little bit easier because then the the motivation will also be driven by a bit more fight for places, people being a little bit less secure that they will play. But I wonder if it's enough, Christoph. In theory, and and, uh, the the idea that Hansi Flick is is having about playing with this high line and press the opponent early is to spare energy. Because uh, you don't have to run back and forth. You kind of shorten your intervention, but that has to be very energetic. And uh, I don't know if that's that's true or if that maybe would be easier to fall back a bit more in certain passages of, of, of the game and let the do the opponents more and maybe they are already thinking about it to to change um, their strategy a bit uh, in, in weeks to come because as you said the they have a very dense calendar with a lot of games coming on and um, and although they have now uh, brought in four extra uh, players uh, shortly before the uh, closure of the transfer window I I think that they might try to have a mixed approach to uh, to games that is not that that uh, flying energetic uh, thing we had seen towards the end of of the season. And uh, but let's see. It's interesting that there's an awareness within the squad about this because Leon Goretzka said a couple of weeks ago. I wonder if we're going to have to change our style when we don't have the ball. So it's obviously something that's on some of the players' minds about whether they're going to have to tweak things. I think the signings they've made all make sense, really. Mark Rock is a player that they they liked for quite some time, a good, uh, solid central midfielder. Eric Maxim Schupo-Moting, you know, seems to get ridiculed quite a lot by people, but actually, you know, scored a winning goal in a Champions League quarterfinal knows the league, knows the language, played at Schalke and Mainz. So I think he's a really sensible grab. Bounassar um, is a, a very energetic, dynamic right back. Uh, and I think they need that. Uh, I think they need competition for Pavar, uh, bearing in mind how he's 
started the season and Douglas Costa again you know dynamic knows the league and just gives them that extra option out wide and I think it was quite a good window for Bayern in the end uh, and it shows that you know they're able to get things done in quite a short space of time so I think even though maybe it wasn't the eye-catching signings that we're sometimes used to seeing, and they did bring in Leroy Sané, of course, uh, I think it's further enhanced their reputation, maybe? Yeah, um, possibly. Um, it was interesting that they did bring back Douglas Costa after he had been described as a mercenary who Bayern wanted to get rid of by Ulu Hunas not long ago. But uh, things change uh, in football. And uh, we, we wait to see how he will perform. Um, I think you're right, Kevin, Bayern had to make do with a lot more improvised signing than they used to. But the bottom line looks as if they actually have addressed a lot of the issues that needed addressing. A backup for Robert Lewandowski, someone on the right, uh, another midfielder in, in Mark Rocco, who looks quite interesting, uh, Spanish youth international, very skillful midfielder by all accounts. So there is now more depth available. But um, yeah, Hansi Flick will have to get his team to forget about past successes and, and focus a bit more on the, on the future. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Before we move on to I was going to say non-football matters but matters beyond the actual match day and I'm looking very much at you Christoph if I could see you at this moment um, we should maybe have a word or two about Borussia Mönchengladbach I mean they've been quietly going better I think it's fair to say after their first win of the season um, in the derby no less 3-1 away to Köln and it felt like a, a sort of a return to to strength would you agree, Christoph? Yeah, it looked very much like an easy win. They were 2-0 uh, up very early in, in, in the game with uh, giving Cologne no chance, no room, no nothing. And um, so you could say they always win uh, against Cologne. I, um, I mean, they are uh, arch rivals, but... Um, in, in uh, recent years, uh, their meeting have very often been very one-sided in the favor of Borussia Mönchengladbach. So, but but yes, you're, you're right. I, I think they were struggling, astonishingly struggling a bit to get into the uh, new season. For example, when they were drawing against Union Berlin and that was an it wasn't an unlucky result, but a deserved result. And uh, you you would have thought, ah, yes, they had um, worked under Marco Rosa for one season now. Um, they haven't, uh, so they know what he wants from them, and they hadn't a huge uh, personal turnover in the in the transfer window. And but but uh, yes, they had they had some issues at the beginning of the season also because some of the key players were not. Uh, not not fully fit, and uh, but but now they they seem to be um, on track. Um, I think also this uh, international window helps them a bit, and uh, and I think we could see 
this time at Cologne for the first time this season that um, uh, what we expected from them. You expected the worst from them. Um, and I hear a lot of people inside, inside football saying they, they will go down. I didn't think that'd be this bad after having had a pretty decent um, you know, second half of the season, all told, but they are quite shambolic. Yeah, they are. And uh, I think there are huge concerns about the coach, Marcus Gisdol, because they haven't won a game since we came back from lockdown, uh, which is a long, long time. They look bereft of confidence. I think Timo Horn, the goalkeeper, um, is almost the barometer for that because when the team's doing well, he's making excellent saves and looks a lot more commanding. But when the team's on a rough run, the mistakes start to creep in. And I think he looks you know, as, as if he needs a break of some sort or certainly needs to be challenged by Ron Robert Zeeler. I think defensively, even though they're good individual defenders, they don't seem to have found a system. They don't think, seem to have found um, you know, a regular way of playing that takes pressure off themselves. And they can't complain about the money that's been spent on the squad. Sebastian Anderson came in to replace John Cordoba, slightly different type of player, but still a very effective centre forward as he proved for Union Berlin last season. So I think there are big, big concerns there. And if they make a poor start post the international break, I think Horst Helt, the sporting director, has got a big decision to make. Horst Helt's former club, Schalke and Fear, also not exactly doing that well. They lost 4-0, in case you're wondering what that uh, lame opening pun was all about, at Leipzig. <laughs> and this was a Leipzig side playing without a centre-forward. And even so, they could have scored many, many more goals than the four they did put past Manuel Baum's Schalke, as we need to call them now. As debuts go for a coach, not the not the easiest place to go to. Would that be a generous take, Christoph? Yeah, and I think that had to be expected um, that they uh, would be defeated and would be heavily defeated at expected at, uh, goals. Expe <laughs> <laughs> expected goals against in that case. <laughs> yeah, expected goals against in numbers for uh, for Schalke uh, with, with any new coach or a caretaker coach or whatever. Yeah, I must say I I, I think it's good that um, Manuel Baum already. Um, overtook the team only three days before that game in in Leipzig because I I, I, I completely dislike this idea that some a caretaker manager has uh, to take care of a difficult away match before the international break and then the new savior come in and blah 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 i think it was uh, i think it's an advantage that he had two days okay they got a def expected defeat um, at leipzig but he could already Uh, see his team. He could see his team before a match. He could see its team at halftime and how, how they reacted to the defeat. So I think Manuel Baum already um, has a bit of a head start uh, before he really starts uh, trying to uh, turn things around. And um, but obviously this would be really, really, really difficult. I thought it was quite interesting that he. Manuel Baum made reference to it in his post-match press conference, the lack of confidence they have. The first goal goes in and the heads go down completely. They lose all shape. 
But I guess we have to bear in mind the strength of the fixture list. Bayern away, (laughs) Werder Bremen at home, which isn't necessarily an easy game because Werder are much better away from home than they are at home. And then Leipzig away. So, you know, you couldn't really have much tougher of a start. I think the talent is there in the sense that you have enough players there with technical quality, with experience to make something out of that. You have the raw material, but the psychological aspect is going to be the biggest thing. And that's where Naldo comes in, I guess, because I guess he's the guy that's been brought in to unify the squad. He's the guy that's been brought in to try and motivate them. Bound by nature is a much more tactical guy. He is the guy who focuses on the X's and O's rather than the actual kind of human side of it, I guess. He can do that, but that's not his wheelhouse. So... We'll find out over the next few weeks whether that's going to be a mix that will work or whether we get to February and Schalke announce that Manuel Baum will be leaving the club and Naldo will be taking over. Yeah, well, February, I think, will be almost uh, optimistic, but uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong. I mean, Manuel Baum is a really nice guy and surely knows his, his football. The question is, you know, can he turn this thing around um, at a club that seems to be so so lost and a dressing room as you said Kevin that seems to be so devoid of of any confidence before I want to talk a little bit about Christoph's uh, secret polyester um, uh, covered side hustle I want to (laughs) I want to uh, give you a chance guys to uh, just look back at the transfer window Bayern we talked about, is there anyone else that you felt did good business? Is there a particularly, uh, particular move that you liked or a particular move that you found was was maybe wrong? Kevin, you have the I think I think Werder Bremen, again, haven't necessarily covered themselves in glory. And I know it's difficult financially. I, I get that completely. But to allow David Klaassen to go back to Ajax and leave it very late in the window to sort something else out. So Marco Gruich, they wanted from Liverpool. Um, They couldn't make that work in terms of the finances. Um, Liverpool wanted a certain fee and and Verda felt they weren't able to commit to that. But also the Milot Rashica situation, that fell through. It looked as though late, late in the window he was going to go to Bayer Leverkusen, but that didn't work out. Aston Villa went elsewhere, having looked at him for quite a long time and RB Leipzig ended up bringing in Justin Kluivert on loan, which I think could prove to be a very exciting move, actually, uh, given a, a coach like Julian Nagelsmann who can improve players. So again, Bremen are left with a situation where they've lost a big personality in Klaassen. They've lost a player who put up good numbers in terms of goals and assists last season, and they haven't replaced him. And so I think that is a, a real problem for them in midfield. I think it puts too much pressure on Maximilian Eggestein. And I think Leverkusen, they left things very late. Patrick Schick is a great signing. Arias will do okay, but I don't think he's as exciting as they're making out. And they missed out on a couple of players late in the window as well. So I don't think Bremen have necessarily had a great window, and I don't think Leverkusen have either. I would agree. Um, I, I was really surprised about Leverkusen. Um, they, they tried to sign... Uh, Milos Razica in the uh, very last minute uh, before the closure of the transfer window from Werder Bremen and then they couldn't agree on the mix of loan and uh, maybe uh, sell-on clauses and and so on. And so I I have the feeling 
um, after Kai Harvers uh, has left for for Chelsea, they could have done a bit more, or probably they would have needed uh, to do a bit more. And I was also surprised that Mainz, uh, Mainz 05 was selling Riddle Baku to, to Wolfsburg. And I think they did it because um, they just needed the money to, to fill some gaps um, on the financial side. And I, I think they lost, in a way, an important player also because he is a Mainz guy and obviously he was also well liked in the in the dressing room so more problems uh, for Mainz 05 uh, coming up there no you left me very down now with this uh... <laughs> 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 poor Mainz well it wasn't on deadline day it was much earlier in the window but i have to say in commentary i was super impressed with Jude Bellingham on saturday against freiburg because even in that opening half hour when things weren't going well, they hadn't had a shot, uh, Freiburg were fairly comfortable. He was trying to make things happen. He wanted the ball. He was hungry for possession. He had the first shot, which was a rising effort just over the bar. And he can pretty much do everything. He can glide past players. He can pass well. He can break up play. He's a true box-to-box midfielder and the thing that's really impressive about him he's only 17 but it's that supreme confidence that he has he's not overawed by anything I imagine Dortmund felt that it might be a few months for him to adapt and he wouldn't necessarily be a regular starter from the get-go but he's turned all of that upside down and you look at guys like him and Gio Reyna I mean Reyna's ridiculous for a 17 year old to have the the fearless approach that he does and the the quality that he does is is just so impressive so I think Bellingham could be you know maybe the signing of the window in the fullness of time looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. It was also interesting to see that Borussia Mönchengladbach didn't sell, sell or buy anyone, um, only loan deals coming in and out, except 1.5 million euros for 19-year-old US defender Joe Scali from New York City, who uh, I'm interested to see how he'll be getting on. Uh, collectively, the league spent marginally less than they received, uh, around about 320 million uh, euros. And I think if ever there was a time to be frugal and prudent, uh, this was it. Most clubs were aiming for a net zero uh, transfer spend. Uh, some of them even made a sm- uh, slight profit. I think if, if you look at the transfer window in general, I think uh, Union Berlin did a very good job. I mean, they, they had a lot of changes. I, I think like uh, 13 or 14 players coming in and as many leaving. And they were in the good position that uh, at the end of last season, a, a lot of players were out of contract. And I think it's uh, at that time, it's more this transfer window is more in favor for clubs who 
who want to sign players and not uh, the ones who need to sell players. And so they had the chance to make a lot of changes, bringing in Max Kruse, uh, bringing in uh, Robin Knoche from Wolfsburg, a very experienced uh, central defender, Loris Karius uh, on loan from, from Liverpool. Uh, we have to see if he will be the number one or number two in goal and uh, but in general they um, I think they increased the level of abilities in in the teams and the options for Urs Fischer and you could uh, already see uh, some of it when they were defeating uh, Mainz uh, uh, on Friday 4-0 their highest ever win in the Bundesliga. Yeah and Mainz are uh, also uh shambolic unfortunately and then might go down but funny you should bring up union berlin um christoph what a surprise because, yeah what a surprise i've teased it now long enough but um it is actually no longer secret we had to keep it very quiet on the pod i tried to poke you a few times but absolutely no reaction you've been part of Union Berlin's setup for last season and you've written a book about it. Please tell us more. Yeah, I did. It's um, it's uh, called Wir werden ewig leben. Uh, we will live forever. And that's a, a part of the, the Union uh, club song that is always played before uh, the beginning of the game. And and yes, I, I spent the season with the team. Um, I was uh, I was traveling with them to away games. I was hanging around in the dressing room. I was attending match day preparation, training sessions and and so on and so on. Um, I I tend to say it's a it's a I was the uh, Netflix doku without the camera. Uh, that was an idea I, I had for for many years uh, that I something I wanted to do and I knew it would be very difficult for various reasons and the obvious reason is uh, clubs don't want to have a journalist as part of the team and uh, and I took the uh, took the chance or took the opportunity and asked them when they were promoted because that was uh, their first ever so the last season was the first ever season of Union Berlin in, in the Bundesliga. It was a highlight uh, for them as well. And and, and so I, I, I went to the to the club and, and talked at first to, to the head of communications and, and he was he liked the idea and then I was talking to the, the president and the uh, the coach and the manager and and so um, ten days before the start of the season, I was standing in front of the team and was introduced by Urs Fischer, and uh, and as you said, I was wearing strange uh, stuff. Uh, I had this uh, strawberry colored running shoes, and I um, I had a training dress on, and uh, yeah, because. I was part of it. And what was the the thing that surprised you most about being being part of a football team in that sense? There were so many things, but but uh, it's interesting to feel the um, energy and the intensity of a match day. So so when you're you're standing uh, in the tunnel and are giving high fives uh, to the players who are going out to to play against the op opponent. These players have completely changed. I found that very fascinating. It was there is so much intensity and so much energy in there, and um, and there is also this 
interesting uh, difference between this energy on match days, um, the competition uh, within in the train uh, in training session because everybody is fighting for the place in the team and and so on. And on the other hand side, um, how mundane uh, very often the everyday life of a um, of a pro is. That uh, how much time they spend hanging around uh, yes on not only on travels uh, you enter a bus you enter a plane you enter a bus you hang around in a hotel and so on uh, but 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 also in their private lives and i um i i got the impression um that they need this kind of empty uh, time um to to relax from the stress uh, that the uh, that the uh, professional life brings and um yeah that 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 was very um interesting for me the amount of preparation by the coaching staff um how much time they spend on uh, analyzing videos analyzing them and uh, showing it to the players showing it to 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 individual players uh, showing it to the group and and one <laughs> and one thing um uh, i also find very impressive is we think as football fans we are frustrated when our team has lost but if you're around a football team that has lost and, uh, um, and that had played badly, they are 10 times as frustrated. I mean, it's, it's almost, sometimes it's almost unbearable and nobody's talking anymore. Everybody has this, don't talk to me look. And, um, and, and I've, I found that Im impressive as well because, uh, yeah, they are all natural fighters, competitors, so, so they, have always something very competitive about them and they uh, most of them actually hate defeats yeah i guess that's the, the reason why they get there to the first place in the first place all the way yeah. to the top of the tree where others can only dream and aspire to i guess I speak for all of us and maybe for most of our listeners um, Christoph, that sounds really good. I started the book. The first 15, 20 pages are already super exciting. And um, we hope that we can bring you some news, uh, dear listener, of an English version coming out before too long. In the meantime, though, thank you, Christoph and Kevin. Thank you, dear listener, for, for being with us. We'll be taking a well-deserved international break next week, but uh, we're back in a couple of weeks' time. Join us then. Bye-bye. <music>Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.